All right, everybody, it's that time, another episode of the podcast. Welcome back. I hope you're doing well. Hope you guys have had a great week so far or a great weekend. Depends on when you're listening to this. I know not everybody hears it when they drop. You might hear it a week later, a month later, maybe even a few years later. Today, we are joined by Allie Kirshner, and Allie is the Associate Sports Performance Coach at Stanford University. She joined Stanford in 2019 and was responsible for all aspects of athletic performance enhancement of women's basketball and women's golf. Before Stanford, she was an assistant coach, sports performance coach at Kansas, KU, from 2017 to 2019, and spent two years prior to that as a graduate assistant in their department. She's originally from Palo Alto, California, graduated from Duke in 2015 with a bachelor's degree, and get this, evolutionary anthropology. It's one of the many reasons I love her. She's got such a wide spectrum of unique knowledge and an even wider spectrum of unique skill sets. And she gets people. She does. You know, she's somebody that I want involved with the Art of Coaching team. And we're working together in some capacities in which you'll hear on the show. She was a huge reason why we were able to give you such great bonuses in my online course, Valued, which you guys can check out at valuedcourse.com. It's not just for strength coaches. It's for anybody who is in an industry that where they often feel stuck, misguided. Um, so like any term, right? You can take strength and conditioning out, put your field in. It's relevant, but really special person. And I think just to frame this up, one thing you're going to hear Allie and I talk a lot about is issues upstream versus downstream. And if you remember, you go back to the episode I did with Rachel Yanez, we talk about in the intro what an upstream issue is. It's getting to the core of the problem as opposed to trying to solve the symptoms. So if all of a sudden you see kids in a stream and they're thrashing and you've got to run in and save them and then another one and then another one... you're eventually going to start thinking, okay, I can't, I can't keep saving everybody that seems to be in this stream. Maybe I need to run up to the source of it and tackle whoever the hell is throwing them in this stream. And like I said in the Rachel Yanez episode, that sounds dark, but that is a medical community uh, parable. It's just saying you can't just look at symptoms. You got to solve bigger issues. And Allie's focused on that. All right. Make sure, by the way, Allie is going to be joining us at our Chicago Art of Coaching Apprenticeship. Make sure that you go to artofcoaching.com backslash events. It's a great opportunity to get a connect with other professionals, get feedback from folks in a variety of fields, and most importantly, become a more adaptable communicator, which pretty sure every profession can benefit from. Listen, I appreciate you guys. I'm going to shut up. On with Allie Kirshner. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. And first off, let me thank you guys all so much for the feedback you've been giving. It has really been overwhelming the amount of people joining our new Art of Coaching Podcast community on Facebook and just your feedback. And I know today we are not going to let you down. There are certain episodes where I worry about that when I'm doing my own solo ones because I always want to bring you uh, a lot of value. But I definitely don't worry that with many of our guests. And I'm certainly not worried about it with today's guest, Allie Kirshner. Allie, how are you? 
I'm great, Brett. Thanks for having me on. No, it's my pleasure. It's been a long time coming. And uh, listen, with everything that you've been doing, taking the new job at at Stanford and at the time of this recording, you're now dealing with the complexity of how to adapt with coronavirus. Um, guys, before we started chatting, Allie was like, yeah, our students were pretty much told uh, not to come back from spring break. So you have your hands full and are in a lot of unique situations. Uh, how are you doing, first and foremost? Let me ask that. <laughs> You know, I'm doing great. All things considered, we're deep in the postseason run. You know, we're about to find out where we go to the NCAA tournament. Who knows what will have happened when this podcast actually comes out. But otherwise, I'm great. You know, it's a new role. I'm back at home in my hometown, which is an incredible experience getting to be with my parents, getting to be with some cousins and seeing them kind of grow up and at a time in my life when I didn't really think I was going to be able to. So, and by most measures, I am doing absolutely fantastic. That's a good answer. I, I asked somebody the other day, I was traveling to Winnipeg and I asked an airport employee, we were running one of our apprenticeships and I'm like, how are you today? And she goes, Ugh. And I'm like, if there's ever a worse way to answer a question, I don't know. But you mentioned your parents and we're going to dive right in. We, we kind of try to cut the fluff and, and get right into it with the podcast and, you know, you grew up with two entrepreneurial parents in Silicon Valley. And you mentioned when we've talked before about how much they've shaped the way that you see creativity, professionalism, working for yourself, pursuing passion, job security, bouncing around all these pieces. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have you on the show, Allie, is you share kind of this belief that we're supposed to evolve in our career. We're more than just coaches or if you guys are listening and you're teachers or you're whatever, you're, you're always more than what your role assumes. But talk to me about how growing up with parents in that location, Silicon Valley, that were entrepreneurs has really shaped some of these things and feel free to ramble. I mean, we want to know about you and, and really the idea and the uh, environment that you came from. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously growing up in Silicon Valley is an incredible experience in that you are given the opportunity to experience so much diversity of ideas and influences from technology and different business opportunities, professionals, people that are really at the peak of their game in so many different sectors, right? It's not just um, farming or it's not just... Um, business, it's really everything. So that alone, you have friends whose, you know, parent might be the CEO of Apple and whose babysitter used to work for uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Who knows, right? There's just so much influence. And um, I think you're pushed to uh, really expand your um, just sort of creative mindset in that way. And then, you know, I attribute a lot of my early um, exploration and creativity and wanting to try new things to my parents. So just some background. My dad has been a um, software engineer for his whole life, pretty much. He's worked at every technology startup from BlackBerry to um, some, you know, computer security system technologies to TiVo. You know, he's really done it all. And he's now decided, you know, later in his life to start his own business. So he's making an electric scooter, <laughs> which That's is awesome. a great story for maybe uh, later in the podcast. But um, he's doing it himself. He's the CEO. He's the president. He's 
building a sustainable energy technology that we hope to really revolutionize what we call last mile commuting and um, have a way for him to to combine a passion of his which is you know uh, clean energy and making a difference in the world with skill set that he has which is software engineering and then uh, my mom has been doing what she does her basically her whole life, which is consultant consulting. She has her own consulting uh, firm, and she builds childcare centers for corporate companies so that employees can send their kids to childcare at their company that they work at. So it's a huge benefit that companies can offer in the recruiting process for their employees. And um, she's really the only one in her you know niche that does that. I mean, she really goes in and she has all of the um, the skills and the people and the connections and the network. So if a company like Apple wants to build a childcare center, they call her and they're like, Hey, this is what we're doing. How do we do it? So that's sort of some background on them. They do really cool things, but that's, that's how I grew up. That's what I know. Um, I, I think the biggest things I would say, the, the influences they've had in terms of the way that I approach my career and the way that I approach life in general is, Number one, um, the idea that it's okay to change jobs once, twice, three times every two years, you're not, you're not stuck, right? I think there's a lot of people that grow up seeing their parents work for the same company for 25 years until they get the gold watch. My parents, it was like, hey, it's Friday, I have a new job. <laughs> and it wasn't because they were not successful in their role. It's because they saw an opportunity to jump and to take that next step and to challenge themselves. And because of that, when I was going through grad school and, and beyond, I was like, okay, this might be a stop. It's a, a cog in the wheel. This is going to be a learning experience. But I've never felt like, ooh, I need to stay in this place and put down roots and um, you know, be worried if for some reason it doesn't work out. If I do end up losing a job, I have an, a model in the two of them that there is something else out there. It's just a matter of putting yourself in the right situations to find it. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, I think the other thing is just in general, you don't have to follow the common path. There's no typical career. My dad worked for a technology or a TV company, an internet company. He's working now for a scooter company. There's, there's no one job for each person. So when all my friends, you know, I graduated and all my friends went into the financial industry and became investment bankers for the most part. And I was like, well, I really like working in the weight room. I really like coaching. I really like working with people. And instead of hearing doing something different, I rose to that challenge and said, you know what? I am going to follow this because this first job is not going to dictate my last job. Um, what else? Uh, I guess it's okay to take calculated risk with your career in that I think I touched on this a little bit already, but you can have some risk tolerance. It's going to be okay if you, if it doesn't work out because every job cultivates a skill that you'll probably need or use later on somewhere else in your career. So even if, you know, maybe you don't want to be um, in the TV industry, I know my dad learned some skills working for that company in terms of people management and in terms of the way that that particular product worked that have now allowed him to go into what he does currently. And then I think probably the final and biggest piece is 
just in general approaching the world from a problem solving point of view so that um, instead of looking at things as I'm gonna go just, um, how do I say this? I'm gonna go work for a company just because I need to make money. Right. I think my parents from a very early, uh, very early age taught me that there are a lot of problems that need to be solved. And that's how you should approach your career. You should approach your career as, you know, you have something that you're interested in. Is there a way that you can make the world better? For me, that was, that was coaching. I saw working with people, not as problems, obviously, but as um, an interesting puzzle and they need help. And how can I help provide that solution to them? I think both my parents would tell you that they not, didn't necessarily see problems, but they saw gaps in their industries in which they started in. And that led them to wanting to create a bridge over that gap. And that happened through the, the companies they now work for. So I think that's kind of a long-winded um, answer in terms of how this Silicon Valley mindset and my parents in general molded my current outlook on life. But I would say, yeah, it's a lot of, how can we take our skill set? and solve a problem. Well, and long answer notwithstanding, that's exactly what we want because you stated it perfectly. Basically, the question that you answered is what does evolution look like to you? And it sounds like your parents helped shape that. And the thing that I always try to challenge other coaches on, whether it's a strength and conditioning coach or a coach from a nomenclature standpoint, any leader, is that you're an entrepreneur by default. I mean, one thing we try to even tell strength coaches because they're so resistant to seeing themselves as entrepreneurs, but think about the context of what you said your parents do, Allie, right? Your dad has helped, uh, from a software engineering standpoint, multiple companies bridge a gap, solve a problem. Your mother bridges a very significant gap by helping build child care or uh, child care centers. I tell strength coaches, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, like you. Even if you work for a D2 team or somebody else, you know what problem you're trying to solve? You're trying to solve performance-related issues. <laughs> you're trying to solve uh, athletes not being able to optimize the opportunities or abilities that they've been given and blessed with. And it's funny to me when coaches don't consider themselves entrepreneurs or they sneer or turn up their head and they think that it's uh, it just goes hand-in-hand hand with the toxic attitude so many in our field have w with money – but no entrepreneur gets into it for the money. They get into it to solve a problem. And I think that's something that is indelible about what you said. And I hope everybody understood is your job is to bridge a gap. And when you're around other people who either play it safe and don't think you should take risk and all that, it's easy for you to get stuck. Conversely, when you're raised with parents or you're around other people who teach you that the only way you get stuck is if you choose to be stuck. Now, of course, there are people born in third world countries, terrible conditions. You know, they might be, I mean, they could have been born in a prison. They could have been born in anything. They have fewer choices for sure. So we're not talking about extreme examples, but we are talking about people that, you know, are in certain jobs and they just kind of belabor their situation when every day the reality is they're making a choice. It sounds like your parents didn't allow you to grow up with that line of thinking. Am I hearing you correctly? Absolutely. It was always a matter of, 
okay, this is a difficult situation that you're in. And we always joke that we're a spreadsheet family. If we have to make a decision, there is a spreadsheet on Excel that's being made. <laughs> so we're weighing pros and cons. We are solving problems. I mean, you should see our dinner discussions. It's like full on heated debates over whatever politics or environmental policy or um sports i mean obviously i usually bring the sports references in because that's what i know and <laughs> i like to contribute to our conversations a little bit but yeah they make everything into a problem and it was always um you know how, how do you approach that problem how are you going to solve it how do you you know respond to your situation which you can't always control so with that and you know this is something the audience doesn't know so guys if you're listening ali was actually a huge reason in the background we were able to get such a great bonus contribution from herself and also coach Andrea Hootie who at the time was at uh, KU for our online course Valued which is all about helping coaches who feel stuck feel misguided in their career get out of that and Allie you know it's when I reached out to you and you kind of facilitated that and you helped build it for me it was a no-brainer because we were on the same page. I think you had seen a lot of people that in this field kind of got put into certain situations or didn't think kind of broadly enough. But I mean, was there ever a time where you were stuck in that mindset? Or if not, what are some things that you still see so many coaches in the performance realm deal with that it, maybe if they just opened their eyes a little bit or took an alternative strategy, they could help themselves solve? Like what, what are some big issues you still see in our field that you think that other fields really have already kind of adapted and evolved to, but we're, we're taking some more time with. Honestly, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable right now in, in saying that something that I've seen, at least in myself, and maybe other people can resonate with this, but I know this is true for myself, and I would be remiss if I didn't admit to it, which is that I spend a lot of time learning. I, like, I love learning. It's my biggest... Um, fundamental value. I read a lot. And I would, I would think that many strength coaches do that. But I keep that information to myself. A lot of the times, I protect it, I stay in my lane, I don't necessarily put myself out there and have opinions on those things and, and share to the, the wide masses, when I think I could help people. Even like I know I could do a better job of mentoring the people around me and the younger assistants and talking to them about my experience and or what I'm reading or what I'm doing. I think that's something that I, I, I value so much and I still feel like I miss the mark on every single day. I think people just truly, and I know you've talked about this, I've heard you talk about it a million times in different platform, on different platforms, that we all have something to share, but we're scared to share it because of some self-doubt that we have. So I think the biggest problem is it's not what we know, it's our gap in communicating it to others because we are holding on to it so dearly for fear of either judgment or that somebody's going to take it and steal it and, and we're not going to get the credit for it. Yeah, well, I think that's valid. I mean, it's an interesting thing that you bring up, stay in your lane. You know, if you look at the history of the word, and I remember this is something that once I looked up, I believe I was reading uh, Merriam-Webster, a resource there, because I was trying to look at truly the etymology of that phrase. And if I remember it correctly, it was always used as a term of admonishment or advice against anybody that wanted to express thoughts or opinions on a subject that they didn't really have a lot of knowledge about. Now, 
the issue is many coaches and leaders in general don't stay in their lane because they have insufficient knowledge. It's for exactly the reason you said. They don't know how to communicate it. But then on yeah. the other end, they don't want to work on communication because that's messy. That's ugly. That's why a lot of people don't go seek therapy, right? It's it's hard to work on yourself. It's uncomfortable to work on yourself. We've had people on the podcast before that actually didn't want to share their podcast episode when they came out, not because they weren't proud of it, but because they didn't like the sound of their own voice. And I can, I understand that. I mean, anytime I put a YouTube video out or, uh, you know, I can't look at my own online courses cause I'm like, God, you're such a, you know, but it's tricky when people use stay in their lane to not share when they're not using it in the right context of the word. Almost everybody has knowledge in some domain. It, it really is that self doubt. So what can, what do you think coaches can do? What can anybody do to try to overcome that level of self doubt given our responsibility to help more people. I mean, it's, you know, you can say stay in your lane. If you're not staying in your lane, it's bad, but you know what else is bad is not sharing knowledge or a story or a lesson that could help people. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think all of us have something that we either thoroughly enjoy or we're passionate about. And I know there's a lot of uh, angst around the word passion right now. So maybe I, that's not the right word, but there's something that really just draws your attention that you go home and you read about when you have free time or you look up articles about when you, you know, have a, a spare moment or two between sessions, which I don't know, maybe some people have that. <laughs> um, if maybe you can start by talking about that, sharing about that one thing instead of worrying about sharing what you think you're supposed to be sharing about, which is the typical coaching things. Look, we, I think we all hear enough about those from the experts and from the non-experts. So maybe pick something that's a little bit unusual that you're still very interested in and that you spend a lot of time researching and that you feel pretty knowledgeable about and start there. Maybe it's not even publishing something or putting it out there, but it's grabbing one of your assistants and saying, hey, let's just have a conversation about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what I've been looking at recently. Yeah. And so with that, was there anything that even as you went through part of the valued course that you saw, cause we talk about, uh, we talk about burnout, but we also talk about some imposter phenomenon, right? Is there a time, when is a time in your life, Allie, that you truly felt like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is going to be interesting. I'm not sure if I have the chops to do it. You know, was there a time where you kind of felt that heat of the moment more than, I know we feel it a lot in our life in general. So I'm not Maybe it's too much to ask for your top number one. It's like asking for somebody's favorite movie. But is there one in particular you remember? What did you feel when you were going through that? And how did you overcome that? Sure. I think the first time that I was asked to speak at our conference. So Coach Hootie used to put on this conference at KU, which obviously still is being put on. I think you were actually a speaker. You might have even been there when I gave my yep, my yep. talk on in-season programming. And I remember she asked me to talk and I was like, uh, you know, there's going to be 300 coaches there. What, you know, what do I have? I'm, you know, in my early twenties to share on in-season programming that they're not already going to know. And how can I contribute to this conversation? And she's like, well, they know what they do but they don't know what you do. And oh, by the way, a lot of them don't train in season. You do. You train four times a week in season. You work with KU athletes. Everybody wants to know what KU athletes are doing. And in talking to Luke, who I was co-presenting with, 
we started having just really interesting discussions. And, you know, at first, yeah, I was like, I really don't think that I should be the one speaking on this. But in the end, it was a personal experience. I was sharing my own personal philosophy, which was grounded in scientific principles and coaching experience, which I had validated against other coaches and their methodologies. And it worked for my athletes. So at the end of the day, that's how I kind of overcame that imposter syndrome, even though originally I was like, what really do I have to contribute to this? And what was the feedback from that? Because I think that's another thing people fear is not only putting the, yes, they fear putting themselves out there, but really what they're scared of is the feedback, right? They're scared of, and people can share that whole Theodore Roosevelt man in the arena quote all they want. Most of us are scared of feedback and evaluation. We see it all the time. I mean, at our, I, we just ran an apprenticeship in, in Winnipeg and, you know, there was somebody that came up and this person's a third degree black belt, an absolute superstar. And uh, his name was Jethro. And Jethro, like, was he was great about receiving the feedback. And but we talked about why so many other people might be nervous about that. And it really is like a martial art. Like you go in, you never really know what to expect. You know, you're going to get put on your ass a couple times. But eventually, I mean, that's what leads to a skill. So it's intri it's intriguing to me that people can take on those things. We ask our athletes to take their lumps. Uh, a martial artist knows that it's not an easy path to a black belt, but it's a skill worth learning. Yet we get scared of feedback of ourselves at communi as communicators. What, like, do you think that tears down the, the self-image for you? What is it like, what was the worst feedback you could have anticipated even happening? What would have, what would have gotten to the core of who you are to the point where you think, oh my God, my, <laughs> the, the pre-mortem came true. This is my worst fear. <laughs> um, just that I was completely off base and I was at risk of injuring my athletes. <laughs> I think probably like, what are you possibly talking about? But you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the feedback piece. That's something that I've really, really focused on recently. And, and I'll give you an example. Last week I asked one of my assistants that has been working with me and my women's golf team. And I said, Hey, I want you to watch me for the next couple sessions and I want you to give me some hard feedback. I just want you to like lay it all out there. Give me the worst you can think of. And I think it's going to help you because I think you typically watch the athletes and I want you to kind of watch me as a coach because I think that, yeah, you're ultimately here to become a better coach, not necessarily figure out how my golfers, you know, work. But um, I came back up to him, you know, this was, two weeks maybe after I first posed the question to him and he had written out, so this is credit to this guy. He had written out a full page of notes of feedback for me. And I'm not going to lie to you, Brett, I was ready for it. I had asked for it and I was still, it was still very hard to hear. And I think that's just goes to our ego, but um, I, I got some great insight out of it. I got some practical things that I could apply and it got me uncomfortable. And that's ultimately what I'm seeking every day is getting uncomfortable because every time I get uncomfortable, I know I grow. Yeah. And as a daughter of two people that are not in this field, do you think there's inherent value in seeking feedback from people outside of our immediate domain? And if so, why? Absolutely. I think we get caught up in the same patterns of thinking. It's groupthink mentality. We hear and we read and we digest the same information day after day. And especially if we're around the same colleagues day after day, you, it's, a, not a, it's not a cult mentality by any means, but you're, you're all ingesting and, and inhaling the same air and information. So 
And you're also looking at it through the same lens, which is this coaching lens. When you step outside of that and you get it from somebody who maybe doesn't work with people the same way, or they're a manager of people in a different way, or maybe they just don't have anything to do with people in general, but they're just analyzing it from more of a theoretical perspective. Everybody brings this different lens to look at it and to assess and give feedback. And so when I do talk to my parents, they're like, huh, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense logically, or I'm confused by that. And maybe that's because they don't deal with 18 to 22 year olds. (laughs) I don't know. But, um, Absolutely. I think that you can always gain from talking to somebody from a different um, profession, different point of view, different lens, because at the very least, their historical context is different. Right. And even though that might seem like a a soft toss question for those of you listening, I ask it because of this, right, Allie? So we agree we need feedback from other people, yet so many coaches insulate themselves to only getting feedback from their counterparts. I've said it before on the podcast, you know, one coach said, hey, I want to come to an apprenticeship, but in all actuality, I feel like, uh, you know, it would be better if you came to our place and evaluated our staff and yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, listen, that's great but life doesn't really happen on our terms and your staff is only going to give you a certain kind of feedback, right? It becomes, and I don't mean this term literally, but I mean it metaphorically, it almost becomes incestuous if you keep everything in the family, right? You're only going to get feedback, uh, a certain type of feedback because people inevitably, no matter what we like to say, are scared to give feedback to those they work with. They don't want to harbor resentment. They don't want to piss off their boss. Their boss may not want to, you know, cripple the confidence of somebody else. And, you know, then the these folks will say, well, you shouldn't be scared of feedback. It's a true professional. But then I look back at them and say, well, yeah, that's why you should get around other people. You Because they want to stay in their environment because they feel like then the feedback is contextual or almost safe because that way if they do something that is looked upon as socially undesirable or ineffective, it's very easy for them to reach for that buffer of like, oh, yeah, 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 but we do it this way. The issue is, is nobody gets better assessing themselves in a vacuum. I'll say that again. Nobody gets better assessing themselves in a vacuum. So with that, you know, as you continue to evolve in your career, how much time, Allie, do you spend around people in other fields so that you do not get isolated in your thinking? And how is that happening? Are you going to other conferences? Are you just spending time around friends? What What is the way you continue to evolve or cross train yourself metaphorically in that sense? I don't do it enough, for sure. Um, that's something that I would love to do more of, especially being in Silicon Valley with access to all of these different professions and experts in their field. Like I mentioned, you know, right across the street, I have access to one of the best business schools in the world. Right across the street, I have access to people who are doing groundbreaking research on neurobiology and the everything. I mean, Stanford is such an incredible resource in itself and it's, it's right on campus. But I think, I think just talking to my parents is a good start. Talking to my parents' friends who are venture capitalists and who do different things within the business sector. Talking to my, my uncle and my aunt who one's a, the general manager of a hotel chain in the area, you know, like all of these different influences. I think I could explain my method. I think a lot of times I just don't tell them what I do because I think it's seen um, to be a lot of times, oh, she's a sports performance coach, but I could really 
get out there and put out there what we do and be proud of it in a better way. I think that's something that I miss on a lot. I just either assume people know what I do or I assume they're not going to take it seriously because it's sports and they're in business. And that's completely on me. I'll take responsibility for that. But, you know, asking them questions, asking them to, to give me feedback on the problems that I'm having through their lens, I think is something for sure that I can do better at. So what, what do you think if you're, if you're addressing your staff right now and you're saying, okay, we want to, uh, we want to tackle staff development in a little different way this year. And, you know, I, I remember my time in the collegiate environment. I know it's different for everybody, but, and I only spent a short time there, you know, staff development, let's say it was on a Wednesday or it was on another day where we had an open piece and it might be like, Hey, read an article and review the article or, Hey, defend your program or, Hey, here's this, here's that. You know, what way do you think that could evolve within strength and conditioning so that people expand their playbook? What, like, what, what could they be doing so that they don't fall victim to the same thing strength coaches have been doing 20, 30, or not even strength coaches, people in the corporate realm, right? They, they have their own version of these things. Because I think most of them just sit there and read the same generic leadership books, defend the same articles, go through the same routines. They never update their curriculum unless it's to add a, a new book, you know. But what, what could be done differently or where would you like to challenge yourself in that respect? Quick break here for a moment to recognize our sponsor, Momentus. We've talked about it on previous episodes, but I want to make sure you guys understand that if you're interested in nutrition at all whatsoever, Momentus also has a blog on their website, and we have dietitians from all over that are contributing information. And these are dietitians that have worked in the NBA, the NFL, even the fitness market. Guys, so no matter what you're into, there's something for you from an educational capacity on that blog at livemomentous.com. Also, if you guys are regular listeners and you're looking uh, you know, just for a product that you can give to guys and you don't have to worry about, okay, does this have banned substances? Does this have anything else I need to be on alert of? Momentus goes through some of the most rigorous testing procedures of any company I have ever seen. Not only are they NSF approved for sport, but they're also informed choice. They do tons of third-party testing, and they're constantly making sure that they're staying above board on all the latest and, or, or newest regulations and guidelines that come out. They're, they're absolutely obsessive about it. If you guys want to learn more, make sure to go to livemomentous.com backslash Brett and you guys will get $20 off your first order by using code BRETT20 at checkout. Again, that's livemomentous.com backslash Brett, and just use the code BRETT20 at checkout, and you guys will get $20 off your first order. Always want to thank Momentous for the support that they give us, and now back to the podcast. Well, first of all, I'd like to give uh, some credit to Coach Hootie, who kind of started that with our staff when we were all together back in um, Kansas and that, you know, we would have these staff meetings where, and I think I might've mentioned it somewhere else, but, uh, or in maybe a previous conversation with you where she would, you know, we were going to tackle the issue of table etiquette and we brought in, or we would watch a YouTube video on how to sit at a table and use the proper fork. You know, we would um, bring in an expert on, um, mindfulness and meditation who had no coaching background, or we would go across the street and talk to one of the business school professors. And it just, it's just a matter of finding some expert who is looking at the same problem in a different population. So 
this is actually something that I've been really interested in recently. Have you heard of the jobs to be done theory? So we actually had a guest on recently that was talking about jobs to be done. So, but go ahead because we have new listeners pop in all the time and they may not hear previous episodes. So guys, make sure you do go back and listen to previous episodes just because they were recorded last year doesn't mean they're not relevant, but no, give us a brief overview. That'll be helpful for the audience. No, absolutely. I mean, jobs to be done is a, is a theory that I think, well, I was first introduced to it by my dad, but um, it's a different way of framing entrepreneurial tactics and how to think about solving problems and making a product that will sell. And I think the, the best quote that, I, that I've heard about it and that frames the issue is, you want to upgrade your user, not your product. You don't want to build a better camera. You want to build a better photographer. And I think um, Kathy Sierra said that. But essentially, it's a, a framework that I think we could all use in our own sectors, in our own field. And it came from the business world. But this is exactly, I think, what we're talking about, is that the same frameworks and mindsets can be drawn from and applied. And so I would love to go find somebody across the street or um, who works in this field and operates with this framework and bring them over and talk to our coaches. Because I think this is exactly it. It's, you know, the customers, our athletes, they don't want your product, which is maybe your program. And they don't want what it does necessarily, which is make them stronger. They want to be a better athlete. So as a coach as a provider as a creator you know i think it's our job to give them a product that's gonna make them into a better athlete or a better at their sport and they don't necessarily care what that is but they want to realize the vision and so it's our job to provide a service that gets them to that vision and maybe for you brett that's the the vision the ultimate vision is becoming a better coach so it's not that you're selling your book it's not that you're selling your um, apprenticeships. It's not that you're selling any particular one product. You're selling the idea of becoming a better communicator, a better coach, and you're going to do that through whatever means possible. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, the the way I understand jobs to be done and even hearing you explain it is it's looking at things that are upstream versus downstream. So like you said, it's not about having a better camera. It's about having a better photographer. And this was something that I said at the beginning of the episode. Um, we have some people that will fast forward. So if you didn't hear it, I always say people to imagine this, Sally. I say, imagine you and a friend are having a picnic by the side of the river, or maybe you're not having a picnic. Maybe you're walking, whatever. And suddenly you hear a shout from the direction of the water and you see a child like struggling to swim, right? It almost looks like they're drowning. Now, without thinking, you and your friend both dive in, they grab them, they swim to shore. But Allie, before you can fully recover, you hear somebody else cry for help. You jump back in again, you rescue her, then another one, then another one, then another one. And eventually what's going to happen, hopefully, is... Instead of just continuing to go back in the river, back in the river, back in the river, you're going to get your ass upstream and tackle whoever's throwing people in the river, right? But <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's a, you're going to go upstream. And this is kind of a, a parable in the medical field. And so what I'm trying to do, because you're right, I'm not trying to sell my book or this or that. I'm trying to create more adaptable communicators, period. And we try to do that with workshops and resources because here's the thing. Most people, same thing with valued, 
Uh, most people only dig the well after they're thirsty, and that's the equivalent of just keep jumping in the river, jumping in the river. And that's what we found is like, and it's funny, like these things, you know, the business world gets it, medical world gets it to a degree, although healthcare is still broken here in the United States, but the coaching world is so far behind where their version of how they think they're going to become better coaches is another leadership book. Uh, another new exercise, another piece of technology, another this. Well, meanwhile, nobody's building better communicators. And so that was our version of a job to be done or an upstream issue of saying, whoa, 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 uh, let's create that. Because even when we do, and you wrote a great article about this, the 10 ways to get better at 10 things. But you know, when we teach the apprenticeship, inevitably we have people that say, hey, do you have a piece of paper or a tool or something that can tell me how to connect with all these different kinds of people and all these different kinds of situations. And it's like, well, yes, we have resources that can do that, but no, that's not what's going to solve the problem for you. The problem is you've got to learn how to adapt actually in the moment. And that's why at the apprenticeships, we do so much improv because life is improv. And so the coach themselves is the tool, but coaches keep looking for the new camera, if that makes sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. I think we're all looking for that one little fix instead of identifying what really is it that we're struggling with? What, and, and this was actually a great question that I came across when I was researching jobs to be done, which is, okay, instead of asking the question, what do you need? You need to ask, what are you struggling with? Right. Because if you ask somebody, what do you need? They might say, I need to go on vacation. But if you ask them, what are you struggling with? That I, what they're struggling with might be burnout. And yes, going on vacation is a way of fixing burnout, but the burnout is the problem we need to address. And you're myopically missing all of these peripheral uh, potential solutions by just asking them what they need. And then by just asking them what they need, you're going to try to solve just what they need instead of the larger upstream issue. Right. And you're, I mean, that goes into that Henry Ford comment of you ask people what they want or need and they think, oh, faster horse. Right. And then people just don't have really idea. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. If you ask coaches what they need, they think they want a blueprint, but you give them a blueprint and then it's not in the way that they want it, you know, then they want this. And so it's evident that coaches, I mean, why we collaborated on valued is it was evident through the numbers that coaches needed something that could guide them through the sticky parts of their career. They felt undervalued, underpaid. They feel like, you know, they're not getting the jobs. They just feel stuck. The The previous advice didn't get to them. Yet there are still coaches that will, even though they need that, will never buy it or partake in it because they don't see it as a big enough perceived need in the other things. And so when you have misguided needs, that's, that's an issue too. Um, I think a lot of people have inferred needs or misguided needs. But what they want, what they need isn't always that clear because they may not be self-aware. I mean, you said it, guys, you know, I had Allie, we were working on something together and she wrote an article and it was great. She said, you know, from a communication standpoint, for example, the how-to guide has been written, rewritten and written again. There are articles on how to communicate better in the workplace with your spouse and teams in the virtual world with millennials, whatever, right? There, there's a very specific kind of reason these things are written. But the issue is, is people may be reading the articles, they may be reading the books, but they're not really challenging themselves on trying the new things. And in Allie's words, seeing old things anew. And it's because we're not applying it, right? We might be aware, Allie, of the jobs to be done, but at some point you got to do the damn job. <laughs> you can't just, you can't identify it. It's like actually get tactical, get technical and put it into place 
because otherwise you just expand this knowledge. I mean, imagine your parents, right? Your dad would be a really crappy software engineer if he just designed it, but then didn't go help people understand how to utilize it. He's the, the scooter. Something tells me that, you know, he could know all about why this kind of last mile commuting needed to be optimized and improved, but it's another thing to sit there and talk about it and understand it. I mean, something tells me he probably had to invest in this to actually bring it to market. So it made a difference, correct? Oh my God. Absolutely. I mean, this guy is absolutely obsessed with this product. And I think you have to be, he like, you know, he's coming home and he's like, Allie, I need you to do some market research for me. I need you to ride this scooter up and down the street. He's taking the scooter to the Silicon Valley bike coalition, which is a group of bikers but he wants feedback from bikers on scooters because that's going to ultimately help shape what the need of the consumer is. You know, I mean, like you said, I think there's so many, um, we just want, it's like creating a to-do list, right? You, you want to write down the things that you need to do ultimately, or you want to just have them there. You want to say that you're doing them, but actually doing the work is really tough and people don't actually go do it. I know like myself, you know, I love making lists, but actually going out and executing the list is really tough. And I think that's really what separates the best from the rest. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so, so with this, we have the idea of this fear of feedback, jobs to be done, making sure that you diversify the amount of people you're around for you over the next year, what does continued evolution look like? What do you feel like? I don't want to ask what what is your need, but what are you struggling with most right now outside of what we've already discussed, right? Outside of the feedback thing, or what what's your big struggle? Is it continuing to tackle a certain problem? Is it something inter or intrapersonally? What is Allie Kirshner's biggest problem? And most importantly, what's the first step you're going to take to overcome that inertia and in solving it? I think for me, it's like I said earlier, putting myself out there and I'm going to say it on your podcast, Brett. So I'm held accountable to it and you're going to hold me accountable to it. I'm sure of it, No doubt. but I want to, I want to, I want to create something. I want to create something that's going to help more than just myself because I know that there's things that I can contribute and I obviously have two great blueprints sitting right across the dinner table for me every night, which yes, by the way, I still live at home. You can laugh about that. I don't think anybody's laughing at that. (laughs) I don't think anybody would laugh about that if they knew the prices of housing in Silicon Valley right now. But um, I see problems. I see places where there are gaps and I recognize in myself a love of learning and a love of growing and a love of teaching and want to combine those things to create something. So I've started putting something out there and um, in a blog. And that itself was a huge step for me because I finally got out of my own head and got over my own insecurities of sharing and put something out there. And guess what? It was great. I haven't gotten any of very little negative feedback about that. And it feels good. So I'm going to build on that. I think what's interesting is that I went from Kansas where I had four teams to Stanford where I have two teams. And yes, obviously coaching is my number one priority right now, but I do have extra time to be creative. And I do have extra time to pour into diversifying my, um, my skill set in the sense that I want to 
you know, do things like be a better writer, be a better communicator, help you. Who knows what that's going to be? Um, but putting it out there, I'm going to create something. Not exactly sure what it's going to be, but it's coming. No, I, I I think that you're just a person to do that. What I need you to create is a way for you to move to Atlanta because that's what I'm in need is somebody like you in Atlanta where we can go mad scientist mode and continue to go. I mean, that's my limitation. When people ask me what I'm struggling with, it's simple. You know, we have a remote team that's growing. I have somebody in Illinois, somebody in Iowa. Uh, my wife just joined the team as a project manager, but I'm still very much in need of somebody in Atlanta that's gone through our apprenticeship, valued, bought in, all these things, and has a desire to continue to create. So, you know, I might be on you about that, and I apologize to Stanford in advance, but, you know, we might be finding ways to poach you. But then again, you know, that also depends on you, uh, <laughs> you you being willing to come to the East Coast or finding a way. But I think that's important. And listen, like you mentioned as a as a qualifier, yeah, coaching is my first priority, but I have extra time. But listen, that everybody's got extra time. If he, I, I use them as an example all the time. If Elon Musk can build Tesla cars and still manage SpaceX and the boring company and Richard Branson can do Virgin and, you know, there's surgeons that can go out there. We had Justin Bosley on and he's got a family and he's also an online training client of me. I think coaches still just got to they've insulated themselves so much in this. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have like we have a very important job, but we're not we're not solving brain cancer here. And that's not to be indelicate. I've said this a lot. I've lost families to that disease. I'm just making a point that so many times coaches insulate themselves with dramatic excuses. There's extra time and we all have something to give. And you, Allie, absolutely have a lot to give. So I know I will definitely be holding you accountable as will the rest of our podcast community. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you have time for what you make time for. Somebody really important to me says that to me all the time. You have time for what you make time for. And think about the times that you're on social media every day. I know I know that, you know, you do this mostly for your business, but I know I catch myself just scrolling through social media, scrolling through my Instagram feed. Those five minutes here and there, they add up. Where could I be putting those minutes somewhere else? Could I be writing a blog? Could I be coming up with a new product idea? Could I be, who knows? You know, it's, it's like, that's exactly how I got into this jobs to be done theory. I asked my dad a question. He was like, Hey, I need you to check out this theory. I dove into it. I was like, Oh my God, this is a game changer. This could be a game changer for our, our community of, of coaches. If we start approaching things from the, you know, higher up mentality. So it just, I think it starts like that. It's snowballing, but yeah, I, I want to create, I want to do something um, because I think I love scaling my message small to a group and a team. But like you said, if we want to be taken seriously as a profession, we have to get our message out there in a consistent, authentic way. Yep. No question. Well, listen, I'm glad that I could hopefully help you do that to a small degree by having you on this podcast. You're somebody that I think has a tremendous amount of gifts. And I think you're only getting started, even though you're very experienced within your own career. And again, I'm not going to be shy about admitting it. We want to find a way to get you with the Art of Coaching team. It's been my own failure simply because it's very hard for me with everything I'm doing to manage a remote team because there's some things that just can't be taught efficiently remotely. You know, there's, I still crave very much uh, people, it, it, like, there are so many people that have facilities, right? And I'm, I don't have one for a reason, don't want one. 
But the nice thing about that is you have this built-in incubator of interns who then take this and take that and, and can grow. Um, on the other hand, you know, there's companies that work really well remotely because they do kind of things behind the scenes, right? But I'm in a unique challenge because I have to be front and center sometimes. I have to manage things from afar, but I still have to be hands at the grindstone coaching and all that. So I get home from these workshops and I am ready to lock myself in a room with somebody else and start whiteboarding everything. But then I'm like, oh shit, there's nobody here. I'd have to get on a phone call or a Zoom call and then I have to try to, through a bad game of telephone, communicate everything that I witness and the problem we need to solve. So we're going to get you out soon if we don't see you at the Atlanta or the Chicago apprenticeship. We've got to make a trip out. But um, is there anything else you wanted to add? And, and how can people get a hold of you if they want to connect with you and, and help you in any way, Allie? Well, I'm going to hold whoever's listening accountable as well and hold me to my idea of getting out of my getting out of my own head and just helping and sharing. So if anybody wants to get a hold of me, contact me. I love questions. I've said this a million times. Ask me some good questions and I will be forever a fan of who, of whoever that is. So um, people can get a hold of me. Um, social media is a good, great way to get a hold of me. Um, I think I, I don't know if you want me to mention my um, social media handles in, yes. the, in the show or if they'll be. Uh, so on Instagram, I am Kirshner.ally. And on Twitter, I am at Allie Kirshner. And then my email address is on the Stanford website if anybody wants to find it. Perfect. And guys, as always, these are in the show notes. Check them out. Big shout out to the guy that handles our show notes, Brandon Irwin. Brandon puts a lot of effort into those things, as do the many contributors. And also, guys, you know, Allie is one of the folks, and she's taken it over. She's done a great job at it of helping with the podcast reflection. So those of you that have used our free downloadable worksheets that help you apply and pay more attention to and better reflect upon all these things, this is Allie. And this is what makes her so special. She never even asked for credit for any of these things, yet she has put a lot of hours in every single one her and Kevin Whitesell and Brad Lashinsky and some others have done, but Allie's been taking the ball and really running with it because she's so giving and wants to find a way. So please support her. Go to artofcoaching.com backslash podcast reflections, and you'll get a free sheet from every episode. Allie, have fun, by the way, going through this one when you're doing your own. <laughs> when you're doing your own one. I was one. just thinking about that. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to actually do this for my own one. <laughs> oh man, listen, when I was doing it before Brad and Kevin and you came along, I'd sit there and I'd be like, I do not want to hear myself, but no, it's good. It's good. And, uh, I just want you to know, and I want to state it publicly, you know, over 10, 20, 30,000 people will hear this. I am really grateful for you and you are making a difference doing those reflections and the people that actually take the time to do them. I know find them super invaluable and helpful. So thank you. Absolutely, Brett. Um, it's been an honor being on your podcast, having listened to it for now, it feels like at least a year, however long you've been doing it. I've yep, listened to every single one. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, you're honestly such a huge role model in this field in terms of being a coach and a creator. You know, it, it's so rare. And um, oh, one last thing I did want to mention yeah. is um, okay, so the idea of mastery, right? This is going to be quick, I promise. No, by all means. Um, so I think a lot of people think of mastery and they seek mastery in their whatever field they're in. They want to be the best coach. They want to be the best pianist. They want to be the best engineer. And 
that's really hard because it, a lot of these fields are really saturated and to really become the best pianist, like, okay, like, let's say you want to be Mozart, right? Well, that's really rare to be truly a master of your craft to that level requires, to be honest, a skill set that is going to be um, almost unattainable for the average person. But there's a different kind of mastery that I think we could all work towards, which is combining two things, two or three unique skills that you have that maybe nobody else in your field has. So I heard a great example the other day, which was, okay, maybe you're an engineer, but and you're not maybe the best engineer, a really good one, but what makes you different is that you can public speak. So your form of mastery is an engineer that can go to conferences and give a public uh, speaking uh, presentation. Whereas um, somebody else can combine two or three of their skills to make them the best at what they do, which is some hybrid form of something else. And I think that's kind of what I'm hearing myself and what I hear you doing is that your form of mastery, your form of mastering a craft is combining a couple of things that you're already really good at into some novel experience um, that's really going to change people's lives. Yeah, I love that. That's a worthwhile ad. And it's great to be able to talk about those things because otherwise we just get stuck with these fluff definitions, right? It can become a buzzword like culture and everything else. So it's important to give uh, concrete examples and different ways of thinking about these things so they get more concrete and they become edified in, in a real or more realistic sense. So I appreciate you taking the time there. Anything else you want to add? No, I'm just going to mic drop on that one. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen, this has been the Art of Coaching Podcast. Please support people like Allie. Leave a review on iTunes. It really helps the show. We don't ask for much. You get to consume this content for free, even though you know we, we, we invest heavily in its production. And so I don't ask for much, but if it does help, please leave a review. And you know what? If you hate it, leave a review. Um, there, there are people like that too. We're trying to be better. This is not my full-time job. Um, so I know I'm not perfect, but we do try to bring value. And we do think people like Allie, who take their time to do that, you know, are invested in your growth. And we hope that you just remain invested in hers and ours collectively. Until next time, this is the Art of Coaching podcast. Talk to you soon. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, glad I caught you. Listen, there's a lot of people that think that I just have social media, podcasts, and, and YouTube. Guys, there are so many more resources uh, if this stuff interests you. Um, first of all, if you haven't checked out the book, I'd be honored if you would. It's on Amazon worldwide. It's called Conscious Coaching. Uh, we have a free field guide. There's so many resources I try to provide online, free eBooks, free downloads. If you just go to artofcoaching.com, check out the free resources. There's also online courses. So whether you're interested in the coaching, communication, psychology side, we have an online course called Bought In. Uh, that is a great resource. It's research-backed, and it applies to every profession. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach. Literally, I use the term strength coach and athlete because that's what I do. But just like you read uh, an article or a book by a former Navy SEAL or somebody that owns a company in Silicon Valley, all these things are relatable to other fields. Also, if you're looking more into career management, whether that's you trying to learn more about marketing, contract negotiation, networking, resume writing, all these things that go into the messiness of trying to create and cultivate a sustainable career, we have a course for that as well. It's called Valued. Both of those are found on artofcoaching.com. Remember, the podcasts and all these other things, you know, they're 
I can only share so much and we try to do it in so many other mediums. So please, I'd be honored at your support. We try to make sure and donate a percentage of the proceeds every year to either fight Alzheimer's, uh, cancer research. We, uh, we donate to local police forces. We try to do a lot of different things and we can only do that with your support. Thanks again for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy those resources.